Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember, you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. If that's iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or Google Play, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, you are in for a treat. Well, I guess I'm in for a treat, right? Because because I, I always love being able to uh, take a moment and talk about uh, movies and television and film and all that good stuff. So you know what that means. That means that I, I am joined by my good buddy, Bubba Murray, uh, who is an award-winning. That's what I'm going to tell you who he is, just in case some of you are first-timers. Uh, he is an award-winning writer, director, hailing from Oak Park, Illinois. His background includes receiving the ABC Writing Fellowship, writing for Desperate Housewives, participating in the NBC Diversity Scene Showcase twice, and being accepted into the Fox Writing Initiative. Most recently, his short film, Robox, won the Best Children's Film in the 2017 International Black Film Festival, and Bubba serves as both the lead content and social media director right here, for the Burma Task Force. Bubba, you are on. Thank you. And actually, I have a couple more things to plug, if you don't mind. Okay, go right here. Just just so you know, to update the resume. Let's go. uh, Coming up next week, I have a short film, Awake, which is going to be screened at the Chicago Horror Film Festival in DeKalb. So that's a departure from a lot of the kids' stuff I've been doing. And then some of my scripts have gotten some attention. Mm -hmm. There is a Oaxaca Film Festival in Mexico, and that's going to be... October 5th through the 11th Oaxaca. in, a, in a, uh, a pilot script that I did called Lost, An- Lost Angels. Uh, okay. That's an hour long. And then the next week in Manchester, Vermont, they're having the Independent Television Film Festival and a half hour comedy, horror comedy that I wrote called Meat is going to be featured there. So those are some of the things that are going on. So I'm pretty happy about that. Okay. Uh, before we get moving, what's what's Oaxaca? What, what's that? Uh, Oaxaca is a... It's, it's a film festival that's been gaining a lot of attention. It's in Mexico. Okay. And uh, they feature, again, like most film festivals, a lot of different short films, feature films. But they have they put a, a great emphasis on a global screenwriting uh, challenge, let's say. So they've got a lot of different genres of screenplays, scripts that they're going over from features to television uh, to even reality-based, uh, I'd say, uh, Bibles or outlines, so I'm I'm excited to be a part of that uh, that great selection of talent. I'll say. Well, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, all right. That definitely sounds sounds really good. So um so we're getting into um and I'll do this again for those who this if this is your first time uh, listening to us when we when we're having movie talk right we don't just talk movies we're talking television. Um, you know, documentary, documentaries, anything. Uh, but one of the things that we do try to make sure uh, we keep in mind when, when we do a, a recommendation or review is we're generally talking about stuff that you're going to be able to find uh, on your your normal streaming services, right? So your Netflix and Crackle and Hulu and Amazon Prime, all those. Hey, I'm old school. I even go to the library and check something out. Okay, so I've got that a, works. A couple of those too. Yeah, that works too. So. 
the movie we're going to start off with uh, today, it is available on Netflix. And to look at the title and look at the trailer, you would think that it's just your regular children's movie, right? Your regular family-friendly uh, movie, animated. Uh, well, not quite animated, right? What's this called? What's, what's well, this? it's CGI. CGI. But okay. that's animation. We can consider yeah. that animation. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not like Popeye. Woody no, it's, it's not hand-drawn, two-dimensional, where you've got cells and people are painting the glass. But it is computer-generated animation. Yeah. So, this movie, Next Gen, uh, and basically it's a... Uh, it says it's a rebellious girl and a runaway combat robot that unite to stop a madman's technological plan for world domination. And for you Office fans, uh, John, John Krasinski, uh, he's, he's, he's one of the voices. Uh, Michael uh, Pena, from, uh, he's been quite a bit, uh, he was in Chips. And uh, the Ant- Ant-Man movies or Marvel movies. He's yeah, yeah. one of the sidekicks on that. Mm-hmm. You've uh, also got David Cross for the people who love uh, Arrested Development. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite characters. And I think the other big name was Jason Sudeikis. Or Sude- yeah, Sudeikis. Yes. Yeah, he, he's I always forget what he's in, but I've seen him in tons of stuff. He was, he, was he in uh, The Hangover? Last Man on Earth. La- oh, Last Man on Earth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Constance Wu. I'm not really that familiar with Constance uh, Wu. I know she was a teen star, mm-hmm. but she's done a lot of Nick stuff. And she, okay. But she's, she's solid. And rounding off the uh, cast is Charlene Yi. And I think she was, she got her start from the movie, I believe it was The Hangover. And ah, okay. she does a lot of voices. Uh, I'm I'm actually a big fan of of uh, Steven Universe, so she plays a couple voices in that. Okay, all right. And uh, We Bear Bears, she's in that cartoon too. Okay, so uh, Bubba just went right over my head with with both of those. <laughs> so I just got some homework. That's okay. Fine. All right. So uh, uh, so this movie, like I said, CGI. When, when we when we see a movie like this, we generally are thinking, uh, especially little girl robot right? we're thinking wally yes right um but that was not the case no was no not it, the case at all it wasn't it's funny like yeah you think of the cute robots even if if you go way back it had a little bit of um short circuit johnny five yeah. in there but you can you, you felt that this was going to be heartwarming mm-hmm. you had so almost the anime look the robot very cute big round eyes everything was mm. almost soft and cuddly and then they started <laughs> letting go with some of these lasers and i was actually really shocked about how brutal and dark a lot of the action scenes were in this mm-hmm. and then just the messaging in this because you said that we had a rebellious team right and you think with any type of family movie, the idea about a rebellious kid, they're just, they're supposed to talk things out. That's the idea. You're about rebel, you're a rebel. You know there's something going on in the house. We talk it out, and then we reach common ground. Mm-hmm. This was more about you're a rebel, so let's just fight and destroy everything we can until we get tired. Okay. Now, but before we give those examples, let's go back for those who 
you know, some of you may have already watched it, right? So we'll just, we're just having a conversation about it, right? But if you haven't watched it, maybe you want to go and watch it and then come back. Okay. So we're, there, there will be some spoilers here. Um, what was the root of her rebelliousness, her, her anger? Because I was not quite sure. I saw something with her father. Um, but I, I just, it did not wrap it up for me. It was like he had an argument with the mother and walked out. She was a little girl, and, and at the very beginning of the uh, movie, it showed her growing, and she was happy and happy, and then something happened with her parents, and her father walked out the door after an argument, and then it was all sad faces and anger, and now we have this rebellious uh, um, little kid. So I don't really think, I'm ju I'll just point this out, right? It's not so much, really, it's, I don't think it's really that important to, to identify exactly what it was, I'll just say this: they didn't do a very good job of clarifying that. Yeah, yeah, I, I have to agree because again, regardless of what age level you are trying to figure out the movie, because something like this, you, you're going to want it to uh, relate to children and adults. Yeah, I, I feel like they they really skipped focusing in on that aspect of what's the cause of this mm -hmm. what what the why and they just really jumped over to what is she doing right now and what are these what are the, how is it a how is her negative behavior affecting her current relationships right but since you don't have this foundation in order to to dramatize what's going on with the current relationships you've just got to make it more sens sensationalized as so a, as a filmmaker yourself when you're dealing with children, um, don't don't you find that it is important to give that foundation to to show how the the values or how the outlook came about at some point in the movie or no I I would I think it's really important and and again it's just they probably attempted to do it yeah but it just didn't seem like they had strong enough visuals let's say to to make these these moments stick to the audience right yeah i get that i get that so back to these back to this 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 i guess adolescent uh that hates robots mm -hmm. uh and is in a society where um funny enough it, it very much mirrors our own fascination with swap out robots for smartphones, right? And you have pretty much the same type of... Um, dependency? Uh, yeah, dependency. Well, uh, yeah. well, on that, that's where you see the WALL-E comparison. So if you throw in some WALL-E spoilers if you haven't seen that either. <laughs> but the idea with both of these yeah. movies is that you've got societies that are pretty much... The, the humans involved are... are, are taken care of by robots where at, there's a point in which that we are now dependent on them for our most menial tasks where in wally they took it to a, they look took it over to the point where now physically humans could not move you could almost say this is that pre-moment in this movie people could still walk around they could still be active but it was an extension to the robots in this movie were an extension of what let's say our smartphones are today, mm -hmm. 
there might have been a few people who didn't have them, but pretty much everybody has a robot in this. And even one of the lines from one of the characters is, I hope you all are addicted, become addicted to my robots. Like, yeah. that's my goal, to get you all addicted to this. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they, they're taking it, they're exploiting or the consumerism. Mm -hmm. They're exploiting the consumerism of today and how we really are focused on the latest tech gadget. And, but specifically how that smartphone works for us and what that means as being that window of communication. You know, and it's odd that there's a fascination. Well, there's, there is a, uh, there's a love of being first to get the new thing, even if the new thing really isn't that different from the old thing. If you remember uh, one of the scenes when the, 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 the girl and her mom are on the, Escalator. They're, so they're at this this convention to see what the new, you know, what's the new the robot. Yeah, right, the latest the release. Yeah. And she's talking about the the new robot in front of her old robot. And she's like, um, you know, it's going to, it'll, it'll make the, this, this new, the one I have obsolete. And she apologizes to the robot that she has. And he goes, oh, it's okay. This one is going to, uh, this one has a screen that is, what is I, th I think he said 10% or 20%, some, something, you know, it's a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. And it's going to fulfill, it's going to fulfill uh, your soul <laughs> or something like that, right? So just something as simple as, he didn't say it was going to do anything different, just it's got a, a little bit bigger screen, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's the attraction, that's the allure, and that's going to make, uh, all the difference. So I, I thought that there was really uh, a great kind of a take on how we are with our smartphones. Uh, there's a new one that comes out. And sometimes they don't really do too much more than the previous version. Maybe one or two things. But, you know. But yeah, it's just that idea of being the, for, for some people, just being the, the new adapter. And they just people just take pride in that. Like mm -hmm. you said, no matter what it is, I just have to be first, yeah. and it's it's that status. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I, I mean, I, I see they're trying to satirize that. Yeah, and I applaud them for that because I think that's a pretty clever motivation for some of the characters because you have this this young woman, uh, and the, I think the character's name is May, or it, it is May, yeah. that she doesn't want to to be caught up in that in that fight for popularity and that it's part of her identity as being a rebel that she's going to be true to herself. And, you know, that's the part that I applaud about it. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. the reaction to how she then decides to, to fight that is where I start to have problems with this movie. Well, I mean, in, in terms of messaging, um, there are a couple of things in here, just in, in terms of um, the robot's, the robot's value system, the, uh, you know, the, ro the way the robot was programmed. Uh, and I know it says in the description it's a combat robot, but there, it, it just went straight to, it went straight to 100. Uh, and I was, I was just really surprised to see it pull out a, pull out a laser and just chop a, chop another robot to pieces. Um, didn't and, expect to see that. Right, right. And, and just to get a little deeper to that scene you're talking about. Yeah. And this is a scene where 
the combat robot has just been activated by the young girl. She then has to go home and in the typical fashion, the combat robot is sort of like a lost puppy. The last person who he identified with was the girl and now he sees that the girl left her backpack in the room where he was activated. So he wants to return it to her. Right. So he goes outside and one of the security robots who was a who was an older model tells him to stand back. And then the combat robot, like you said, goes from zero to 100, just whips out a laser and slices him in half. And for me, what was shocking about that mm -hmm. is that it was so close, it was like close quarter hand-to-hand -hand combat where it was vicious the way he sliced that robot up. Yeah. And it was pretty brutal. And then that leads into a very brutal high-speed chase. Again, visually, I will say this movie is great. Yeah. Great graphics, uh, great um, great effects, but it just came out of nowhere mm -hmm. that you know this that there there were explosions, you know, people almost getting killed, uh, cars being blown up, just out of no place, and then and the the reaction that you had from the family member. I was just thinking that the dog, who's Michael Pena's character, he played the family dog, um, just made no sense to me. I'm just gonna say he was. This is when they threw that character in just so you could have sort of an ethnic animal making comments because no one could understand him because he was a dog. Right. But Except for the robot. Except for the robot. And, and they actually, I feel like they had to bleep some of his dialogue. I mean, that was part of the, it was bleeped on purpose. Mm -hmm. But there was no reason for him to be swearing in this movie and it, in for like movie. 10 years old. It made no sense. It, take, take me back to the, the value system that was established by the robot and how it just in the beginning with um, that scene we're talking about with the little mall cop robot that comes up to him and says, you need to go back inside. You're not supposed to be out here. And he's trying to get over to May and he doesn't push him back. He doesn't, you know, go see, around him. He just he just chops him in half. See, they, they skipped any sort of levels. They went straight to just I think it was like, I've got your back. And that well, was, but but okay. Well, well, that's that's definitely one piece of it. But but the other part is, if you contrast that behavior with this this whole "I got your back" thing, uh -huh. right? There's, I think I'm I think I'm saying what you were saying. Or about to say, which is there, there was a whole lot missing because it yes. seems like you're having a high speed chase. You're you know, and people are these other robots are coming to get you and you are turning around and you are destroying all of the, all of them. And, and they're also shooting back. Yeah. So, so the human life in this thing would admit absolutely nothing. So I'm just trying to figure out why her life meant something. And, and again, this, this is where it becomes just a, a writing trope or something where they just decided we're going to have her imprint and that's going to be who he's loyal to. Hmm. And then after that, there's no thought about character development or anything. It's just very simple. I've get that idea of I've got your back. I I will stand behind you, but nothing was discussed about what am I protecting you from? You you got into it a little bit at the end where they where the lesson tried to be don't be so self-destructive. Right. But the robot has fallen 
by the time the the girl may figures out that this robot will do her bidding she uses him to destroy every robot she can find mailboxes toothbrushes beat up bullies all this other thing like she's she is basically a felon by the time this is over just assault and battery across the board using this robot but she was also a victim herself she was also a victim herself one of her little classmates yeah, the, their robot, her, her robots beat her up or held her down so that she could get beat up by the girl. So that's a problem I just have with the story itself. I mean, I understand the character yeah. going, you know, fighting fire with fire. But from the viewing perspective, stuff I was a little shocked at, that the maze antagonist or foil who's another little girl who has her own issues that's as they always do when she goes up against me she has a five or ten little robots beat her up Mm -hmm. for no reason not they they skipped teasing they just skipped went straight uh, to the smackdown you can't play with us on the soccer field everything became violent everything became physical and that's just the thing that turned me off from this because in the world we're living today, I just feel like you don't need to resort to physical violence. That doesn't need to be the first tell for every type of uh, conflict. Mm-hmm. You could have just gotten away with the girls turning their back on May and then isolating her. It didn't have to go to physical violence yeah. uh, for it to me to at least play deeper. But it became just maybe two levels of this, you know, zero to 100. You're either full-fledged you're fighting everybody or you're not well and then and then there's also this strange occurrence of the robot being the one to remind may of the value of 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 human life you know because she because she's you know one scene she's about to she's asking him to 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 kill her basically he's asking her to kill her he says no she's just a little girl so these this awareness that this robot has it's it's conflicting right because on one hand it's i'll have a shootout and a on a highway and then you know not worrying about killing you know other uh people that are driving or walking by or anything like that and then it's well no she's just a little girl so this idea of a consciousness that this robot has like where did it come from it just there are a lot of steps. There's a lot of development that was missed uh, in it. Even though it's a it's a great point, but I don't think the robot was the one that should have been delivering that. No, and I fe- I found some of the characters in this were just so creepy. Now, if you don't mind, I want to just talk about the main villain. Yeah, yeah. Who clearly. was the tech genius who invented, or who was the face of the robot company, mm-hmm. sort of like a a Steve Jobs type yeah who turns out to be a literal meat puppet for <laughs> the evil robot and so this was you know the most disturbing scene in this movie was that they admitted oh yeah the robot killed this guy a long time ago and has been and we said they're going to be spoilers so yeah spoilers yeah, galore so the robot then made a meat automaton with this using this guy's a cloned body or something 
Yeah. Looking like, but there was a scene where he got blown up and it, he looked sort of like a zombie where he, where the robot controlled meat puppet was lurching towards the girl. But again, maybe if you've seen the old thriller videos or, or you get any zombie movie, this was really dark and disturbing to see the flesh ripped off this creature. Yeah. And he's talking to it's the girl I. saying, I'm going to get you, you know, I'm going to destroy the world and you're all viruses. You know, going back to the, the typical robot overlord idea, but again, very dark, very disturbing and, and very Terminator esque. Yeah, I just didn't expect that for something for eight to ten year olds. Yeah. I, I, I thought that the I thought they just went too far on that one. And they were, again, stretching to just say, we're going to shock you. Mm. From the viewer perspective, you know, it was pretty shocking. And they were interesting-looking characters. You know, I really liked the way it was animated. But I just thought it was totally inappropriate and just over the top. And it didn't fit at all with what the story is supposed to be. There's no warm, cuddly coming out of this zombie. So, so really, it was a marketing uh, a marketing fail. I don't. I, I think it's beyond that because. No, I mean to say that instead of trying to trying to present it like it's a family friendly movie, which is not. I mean, with all the holes in character development and plot development, um, you know, it, it still has. You know, it, it's strong visually, but but it's not. It's not family. It's really not a family friendly. Yeah, movie. but see, I guess I go beyond it being a, a marketing failure because I think the way. The story was a failure in the sense that oh, yeah, yeah, they, tr- but that. because they tried to make, to take a family-friendly story and family-friendly ideals, and then also package that or mix that with these, with this sense of dread and terror that was just way over the top. So if you're looking at this spectrum of emotions that you want to go through in a certain type of movie, mm-hmm. this one was way, this was all over. The board as far as fear anger you, you know uh redemption versus uh revenge just every, you had almost every every uh hot emotion you could throw in there they didn't all work together so you you got so they was doing too much yeah they yeah they just they tried to throw everything they were definitely doing too much with that so that's why i feel the story itself was a failure because there's no way you can really market that because it's not you can say it's an action movie, but then it's still too cutesy with the talking dog and the and the toothbrush robot. You know, it, 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 they just tried to please everybody who they thought might be going to a Comic-Con convention. And <laughs> that's fine. You'll have yeah. something to hit all of them, but you're not going to have a good story. All right. So at the end of the day, would you say, would you, with all the, the apparent holes and the fact that it's doing too much, would you say that it's worth watching? Um, honestly, I would not say it's worth watching. Uh, it looks not. It's you just need to see the trailer, but I I wouldn't recommend this. Well, I would say that I'm going to agree with you because it. Aside from aside from looking good, there are too many. There are too many questions uh, that that you're going to ask and and not have answered. So, but I mean if. You, you could do worse. I, I'll say that. You could do worse. Right. All right. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to get into our next our next movie, which is 
Hunt for the Wilder People. Okay, you heard it here. Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, this is Radio Slime. We're on WCEV, 1450 AM. We'll be back in just a minute. Hey, America. We need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America on your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el We're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, so we're talking movies. It is movie talk. Uh, it is Bubba Murray and myself uh and our next movie that we're getting into we're talking about what is it the wilder people the wilder hunt for the wilder hunt for the wilder people okay so bubba is coming with one that i have not seen yet so um so give it give us the premise what do we need what do we need to know well this is a movie it's directed by uh takawatiti takawatiti and it's a new zealand film and it's about a foster child who's taken in by a couple Mm-hmm. And the mother of the couple dies, so the foster kid gets upset and runs away. The foster father, who or who he calls uncle, tries to chases him out into the Australian, I mean, sorry, the New Zealand bush to bring him back, and he hurts his ankle. So the two of them are sort of stuck out there in the woods for a while. In mm-hmm. the meantime, the child welfare thinks these two are on the run for some reason and now started this huge manhunt for this man and the boy okay and hilarity ensues <laughs> all right now now who's who's in it you have uh, Sam Neill 
who is probably Jurassic Park. Yes, I was about to say best known for Jurassic Park and yeah. Julian Dennison. He's a newcomer. He's he plays a young kid, but some of you may recognize him from Deadpool Two. Oh, the 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 the, the psychotic child. Yes. Oh, okay. So this. So this was his breakout film, but in New Zealand he's done a lot of work. But this was really the one that brought him to the attention of, I'll say, mainstream Hollywood from here. And just a little back note. So uh, the little backstory is uh, uh, Taka Waititi. um, Yeah, Taka Waititi. Mm -hmm. He was in the movie Green Lantern. With Ryan Reynolds. Okay. And so he recommended this guy for the part in Deadpool 2 because of the previous relationship. And so that's how he got into that movie. But that being said... It's all in who you know. Yeah. But this movie is great <laughs> as a standalone because okay. it's just it's just a fun, quirky family movie. Uh, and it took a lot, of, a lot of twists and turns that I didn't expect. You've... You've got action, you've got redemption, and you've this this kid, uh, Julian, he's just hilarious. He plays his part with a lot of energy, and it's very natural how he's playing it. So I'm not sure if they did a lot of improv, but uh, he, his character is a juvenile delinquent who is obsessed with hip-hop, and he even names his this pit bull that the family gave him, Tupac, after his favorite rapper, Tupac Shakur. Okay. And and he just calls to Tupac all the time, and they go on this adventure together. Now, where is this available? Is this on? Because I had to pull it up. This you can find streaming on Hulu right now. Mm-hmm. And you can also, look. I think you might find it on Amazon or... It'll cost you. Because I, I just pulled it up. It'll cost you on Amazon. It's stream- $2.99 for Prime. It's streaming on Hulu, and I actually checked this out from the public library, so you can... You are the library master. You can always find these things. You know, people use your public library. Use the resources you yeah. got. Okay. Good stuff. You Good don't stuff. have to stream everything. This is true. This is true. And a trip to, uh, trip to the library is always um, it's always a good trip. So, uh, yeah, this... I would say... So again, the best parts about this movie is just that this is like a Thelma and Louise type of uh, film because you're you're following these two characters, the uncle and the the young boy, as they try to build this relationship. Mm-hmm. Because when you meet them, the person who is holding this family unit together was the mother, uh, and oh, let me just is that Rima Rima. Yes, and uh, her, and it just slipped my mind, I just want to get her character's name very quickly. Uh, because the, anyway, well, skip that for a second. But the idea was, she, this woman had a, had the skill of bringing like lost souls together. So Heck was an alcoholic um what they call like a white guy wandering the backwoods. So she found him and then she found this little boy and they had this happy family going together. Now the mother or the woman unexpectedly died. So you're left with heck the uncle and, and this young boy, uh, 
to try and stay together. Figure out what they're going to do after she's gone. Right. So the, she was the glue. She was the glue that held them together. Mm, okay. And so now I'm going back and filling in some of the pieces. Sure. The boy didn't want to go back to social services, so he ran away. And that's where the the uncle heck went and chased him down. Okay. And and I forgot the young the boy's name was Ricky. So they have, they have a great song, the Ricky Baker song. Anyway. So uh, S- Sam Neill is Uncle Heck. So Sam Neill is Uncle Heck. Okay. And Julian Dennison plays Ricky Baker, the young boy. Okay. And again, as there is an, another great character in this, uh, who is the the woman who is in family services, and she is like, and she calls herself she's the Terminator. And her mantra is no child left behind. So whenever you see her on film, she'll say no child left behind, no child left behind. And then she goes and chases down this boy. And so she, she will not stop until she's gotten him back in the family services and put into either foster care or juvenile or juvie or something like that. Hmm. Uh, But the, the themes of this are, are about family are about overcoming personal differences and also overcoming obstacles so i think it's something that you can enjoy with the whole family it's the language is a little rough Mm -hmm. but it's it's definitely geared for kids who are in junior high i mean they can handle it it's i mean it's not something for five or six year olds you know i'm looking at the the awards for it and it's showing uh, 20 wins, 25 nominations from a f- different, you know, academies, uh, Academy of Science, Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA. Uh, nominee, and it won. No, 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 sorry, it was, it was nominee, but it was a winner at the Bali International Film Festival, uh, Best Overall Film. Uh, won at the Calgary Under- Underground Film Festival, won an uh, audience award. Uh, Dead Center Film Festival winner for Best Feature. So, yeah, I'm not going to read them all off, but it looks like it was very well um, received. I'm obviously critically acclaimed. So I'm going to put this on my list. No, definitely do. Again, it's well received, well cast. It's it's nice to see, uh, you know, you know, a movie like this, which also features a lot of ethnic, when I say ethnic storytelling, this is really a, a Maori type of story and those are the the indigenous people to New Zealand so there's a lot of spirit of that in this movie oh really okay. so that that's one of the like one of the underlying themes that maybe as an American it sort of had to be forced on me that then I caught but a lot of people are cheering for this kid because they say he's being like a Maori tribesman and he's standing up against against the man and living life his own way and mm-hmm. so when Ricky and his uncle run across some people, they get some help or unexpected help because people really want to see them succeed. Right. Uh, and there's the actress, Rachel House, so she plays a character by the name of Paula who is the a person who's a child service or child welfare person. Mm-hmm. If you've seen Thor Ragnarok, I don't know if... I did. She played the... Numbered uh, Jeff Goldblum's right hand. Yes. Okay. 
and that's Jeff Goldblum played the Grandmaster. Yes, the Grandmaster. And and yeah. she, and this woman Paula, I mean Rachel House, or, you know, she she was very stern but very sharp wit. She was very quick. She played this the same way in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at one point she called herself, she was the Terminator, and she called Ricky Baker, like Sarah Connor, but Sarah Connor before she could do chin ups. <laughs> I thought that was one of the best descriptions in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so I'm, check that out. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna put that on my on my list uh, of movies to watch. So, the movie I have, actually, this is not a movie. Uh, this is a series that you can find on Netflix, and it is called Atypical. You heard it, Atypical. I've heard, heard of it. it. Yes. Okay. Uh, and. I'm 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 just I'm loving this. Uh, it's it's funny. It is uh it's endearing, uh, and if you have not seen it, uh, it's described as uh, an heartfelt comedy uh, that follows Sam, a teenager on the aut- aut- autism spectrum, who has decided he is ready for romance. In order to start dating and hopefully find love, Sam will need to be more independent, which also sends his mother Jennifer Jason Leigh, uh, Lee on her own life-changing path. Uh, she and the rest of Sam's family, including a scrappy sister and father seeking a better understanding of his son. Uh, his father is played by Michael Rappaport, uh, one of my, actually one of my favorite. Uh, he's just a great trash talker. Uh, oh, yeah. But, I, but, yeah, but I've, I think I've liked everything that I've seen him in. Uh, but it's really about how they adjust and exploring uh, what is seen as normal. And uh, it's, this series is created, written by uh, Robia Rashid and Academy Award-winning producer Seth Gordon. So first thing, this made me want to go find out who Robia Rashid is. So I have to see what other work she's done um, because I think that this this does a great job of, uh, it does a great job of humanizing autism. And there's been a lot over the past five years in particular, I can say that the awareness of autism, um, it, has, it has grown uh, just tremendously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and because we, you know this idea of the spectrum, uh, you know where you land on it depends. Of, it it it's going to determine how you function in society, how you're received. Uh, and you have some folks who are high function, high functioning, and some who are you know nonverbal and folks that you know you can't touch. And you know it's it's just the spectrum is real. Mm. Um, but the the lead character. Uh, even though it says uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, she gets the the, the top billing in, in in the film in in the series, but uh, his name is Kyer Gilchrist. He's really the star. So he is the he's the uh, actor who plays Sam, uh, the, the young man who's autistic. And this is a this is hilarious. I didn't th- I didn't think this was going to be as funny. Um, as it is, right? But when you think about humor and its place in dealing with adversity, I mean, they go hand in hand. Uh, in our in our ability to get through stuff without it breaking us, we have to have humor. And I think they've they've shown it in a way not where it's funny to, to them all the time, but we can look at it in a way and we see the we see the humor in it. Uh, and uh, it's there's there's so much that I've seen in terms of the roles of parents and how they change uh, when, you're, when you have a child that's special needs 
Uh, and sometimes it may begin where one parent is, and I don't want to be stereotypical, but a lot of times it's the mother who is the one, you know, is, is the one who's right there and um, is more, the, the child is more dependent on, or they may have a stronger bond with. Um, but those things, sometimes things change. And, and in this series, we get to see kind of reversal of, of roles where the mother who has made, who, whose identity has really been uh, based on being a special needs uh, parent, a mother of an autistic, uh, a son who falls on the uh, um, uh, spectrum, and how his dependence on her, his reliance, that it begins to change as he is, ex is exploring this new area of life, looking, you know, he wants a girlfriend. And, uh, and, and so his relationship with his father it changes where his father was kind of in the background he begins to get closer uh, and I think it's also a great examination of how whenever there's a, a issue uh, in a family for one person it's really it's it's the whole family takes on some of it you know it may be one you know the, the parents may take on more but if they're siblings they become also caretakers uh, in a way as well. They become a big part of that support system. So this does a, a, a great, this does a great job of just exploring how someone who's on the spectrum, how the, this is, you know, this is a person, right? Not somebody that is outside of society, but a guy who, you know, he goes to school, he's got, you know, he's got a, a best friend. He's looking for the same things that everybody else looks for. So I think, this does a, a wonderful job of, of showing the humanity of somebody uh, or a group, right? Because he's standing in kind of for everybody else that's on the spectrum. Uh, but it shows that we're looking at people and not somebody and not disabilities, right? So uh, I, I highly recommend um, Atypical. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's great to hear. It's, it's also, as you describe the cast i'm a big michael rapaport fan too so i'm yeah. curious to see how his character or his persona it mixes in with that group because i've seen him in enough stuff to know how his character's nice and raw and always stirs the pot yeah and so i can imagine how that would fit in against this you know those dynamics with the mother who's trying to read define herself and not lose her identity mm -hmm. and then you've got the son who's seeking his independence I'm yeah I'll definitely put that on the watch list yeah and one of the other things that I really like about this as well is that there's a diversity in the cast uh, and in the supporting cast uh, that sometimes we don't we don't see uh, even though this is uh, this is a white family but the daughter uh, and the daughter is played by uh, Bridget Lundy Payne um, and her character's Casey. Her best friend is uh, is African American, is, is a, a, a black girl. Um, Amy Okuda, who is Julia, she is Sam's therapist. Is I'm not sure. Is I'm going to take a stab and say that she's Japanese, right? And I would hate to just be wrong on that, right? Um, but yes, Amy Okuda, she is she's Asian. And Nick uh, Dodani, who plays Zahid, who is his best friend, uh, he appears, to, I, I assume he's, uh, he's South Asian. 
So they've got, you know, there's some, there's, there's a lot of diversity uh, in it. I mean, and the folks that you see that are, that aren't talking, that are not talking, they don't have speaking roles, but you see just a mixture, which uh, for me, and I think for, for me, for me, any viewer, right? You want to see, you want to see yourself in it as well, even if you're not, uh, if you just know talking. you're part of that universe. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, and I and I think that's a testament to the creator and the writer, uh, the writer, uh, Robia Rashid. So yeah, um, really good, good show, and uh, big recommendation for that one. Sounds good. Yeah. So what's the next one you got? Okay. Well. Actually, this recommendation, and this—I think this is our last one. Okay, and this this is actually a redemption for this program. I am <laughs> going to recommend. Okay. Iron Fist. Oh yeah, this is we Netflix Marvel's Fist Iron Fist. This is the one, uh, <laughs> and it, one of the major themes this season mm-hmm. was about redeeming yourself. But what what I liked about the show this year is that there was actually less of Iron Fist and it became more about the people around him. Now I and I know there was a lot of controversy around the first season mm-hmm. and between discussing was it cultural appropriation, um, was the acting just bad, all the the storytelling there there were a lot of things wrong with this pro, with this project or with this the series that you could have just thrown a dartboard and hit one of them. But mm-hmm. they really did a good job of trying to to focus on making this uh, a story that's more relatable. They focused on some of the main character, who's Danny Rand, who plays Iron Fist. They they focused on his brother's journey. For, of being a narcotic addict. And so you followed his his steps of, again, of in the 12-step program, trying to uh, make up for all the ills mm. that were caused from, that ripped up or destroyed the relationships he had in the previous season. So I thought that was a really good step to take. They also introduced his, this is Danny Rance, his adoptive brother from, um, where he was raised and it was a, it was a Asian mystical city called Quan Lung and it was like a, sort of like uh, it, you would imagine it being somewhere in Tibet or something like that but right. it's a mystic city mm-hmm. and so one of his his adoptive brother who he was rivals with to earn the title of Iron Fist mm-hmm. came back to challenge him for the mantle because within this i'm going to call it the marvel television universe the city has now been destroyed because danny rand who was supposed to be the protector was in new york with the defenders and that becomes a whole another story but now this guy's saying you failed i've come to claim what should have rightfully been mine and so now you have danny rand trying to facing up to his failings as the pos- the person who possesses the iron fist. Mm-hmm. What makes that better is you don't you're not looking at him as just the rich white guy who knows kung fu. That 
story is what they played last year. The fish out of water. We've seen it a million times. Again, this becomes more about the guilt of having let down his family, his adoptive family, and then how do you move beyond that and still be true to yourself? Which is something, again, that's more universal. Now, unlike some of the other Marvel shows, what still makes it weaker is that they don't take on any major social issues in this. They become more personal issues where, let's say, Luke Cage, you definitely had issues of race uh, with Jennifer, um, Jessica Jones, you have uh, gender issues. Uh, this, this still becomes more about the character and it sticks closer to the, the comic book type of storytelling. So it's not necessarily one of the top Marvel shows, but compared to what it was, it's, it's a lot better than, than the first season. And it's definitely worth watching. Mm, they've, okay. they've amped up and fine-tuned the martial arts scenes or the fight scenes, so that's, that's also more interesting. They brought in a character from Luke Cage... Uh, Misty, Misty Knight. Oh, really? Misty's on it. Okay. She has Simone Missick. Yeah, she has a predominant role in this. Okay. And if you followed some of these shows, you might remember that Misty had lost her arm and then got a robotic replacement arm, courtesy of Rand Corporations. Mm-hmm. So now we see her, her character also accepting the role of being the new the cop back on the street and we even see we see development of her character in this so they again so since they didn't necessarily focus on any social issues they really hit this idea of redemption from a lot of different or from multiple directions with different characters and i think they were mostly successful in how they uh addressed it and also uh before you go let me just quick interjection the social issues for Marvel, that's, that's uh, significant for anybody who knows Marvel um, because it has, been, it has always been a part. Uh, if you're looking, going back to X-Men, right? Yeah. That was, you know, the whole idea of uh, Magneto and uh, Professor X. Uh, he says that it, he, was do- he came up with both of these looking at uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Uh, so this idea of, of of moving away from that, you know, I think that's significant that you bring that up. And I'll so. say the I will say they were trying to move closer to try to do that. Yeah. So the first season, there was no way they were going to touch it. Mm-hmm. This one, if they did touch on social issues, they're more about um, economic issues. So you okay. have we're going to help the street kids out. How do we do this? And how do I gain their trust? It, but but these weren't themes that carried over the entire season. Right. They were really more about individual character arcs for minor characters rather than the arc for the main character. So again, for this would have been addiction. Right. Uh, but I was just going to say the last thing: the the character who played um, Danny Rand's nemesis, who's played by the actor named Sasha Duan, Sasha Duan. He he. He did a great job. So, uh, uh, and he was uh, a South Asian character. Okay. Uh, so just just piggybacking on the idea of recognizing the diversity 
I am giving them credit for that, that you had a, they really did emphasize having characters, different ethnicities, different genders, each having different levels of power within this, it's, which I think is commendable. You know, there were few, like there was no damsel in distress in this. Mm. The female characters were, were all portrayed with strength and viciousness. So, <laughs> I mean, so the, the strength and viciousness. Yes, because the the one of the main antagonists was a character. They re, they tweaked a character by the name of Typhoid Mary, who was mm. a character who has in this version has oh multiple personalities. Oh wow. So in one sense you'd have you'd meet Mary who was very sweet and demure and then her alter ego I think was Walker. <laughs> thinking kind of like like I, I'm sorry, I just keep thinking of Chuck Norris and Texas Ranger <laughs> Walker. Yeah. But she was an assassin, bad bad lady killer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so none of the fem- none of the women were weak in this. They were all very strong, all very formidable opponents. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I feel like they drove the action more so than the men, who, in a sense, were the more wounded of the characters. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so definitely check it out. It's worth this season. Is definitely worth worth seeing. I think uh, Iron Fist redeemed itself. All right, um, it does, it, but it does not stand on its own, though, right? So you got to go back and kind of. Go go from no th- this this I actually think you can you can watch it on your own really okay the, it, I mean that just lets you know how bad the first season was yeah that you don't need to see it mm-hmm. the, the they made sure to answer all those questions about you know if, if someone was a teacher how do they end up living where they're living any unanswered questions they did a good job of making this a standalone season I okay. think they had to all right I will definitely definitely check that out there. All right. Uh, it looks like we are out of time. Thank you for tuning in. I want to go ahead and thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host, Tariq Elamine, our, our guest and uh, co-producer, Bubba Murray. Executive producer, producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of sound vision. And with that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.